Welcome to C3 Los Angeles. We exist to help you know God, find meaningful relationships, get active in serving, and grow in leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially to the vision of C3LA, head to c3losangeles.com slash give. Incredible. Worthy of the wait. Or worthy of waiting. That sounds better. Let's go with that. It's on the screen. Hey, you know, when you might have grown up, some of us in Sunday school, learning about the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And you can hear about faith, joy, peace, kindness, and those are all really fun and exciting things to be hold of. But then all of a sudden, you get to patience. And you're like, hmm, patience, patience. Patience is like the cantaloupe of the fruit salad. It's like necessary to fill the bowl, but it's not going to be the number one pick of the bowl. You know what I mean? Like cantaloupe. And you think of patience as like that great principle that we teach our children. So it's like, you know, you teach the child to be patient, to wait his turn in line. And, and children need to learn patience to take their turn with toys and patience for mom and dad to respond to them. And then as we grow up as adults, all of a sudden we begin to dilute our need of patience and mask our need of patience with this word called convenience. Convenience. Now, now, now hear me. Convenience isn't all bad. This morning I enjoyed my uh, coffee at a perfect temperature of 130 degrees for over an hour because of my ember mug that was gifted to me at Christmas time. That's convenient. I didn't have to remake a cup of coffee when it got cold. Convenience, dry shampoo. That's convenience. God bless dry shampoo. Cure eggs. Convenience. All I got to do is push a button and I get my coffee. In fact, you can learn a lot about your patient's ability through how you make your coffee. I'm okay with pushing a button to get my coffee. My husband, on the other hand, he's much more holier than I. And so he must patiently wait for the water to boil in the kettle. And he must patiently wait for his coffee grinds to grind at the right groundness. And he does the pour over ever so perfectly and lets it percolate and stirs it ever so slightly to ensure that the perfect cup of coffee is made. And if He's patiently waited for that cup of coffee and he takes a sip and it does not meet his standards. He will dump out the perfect cup of coffee. Whereas I will just push a button and take my coffee. Amen. You know, but patience, if we lean too much on the convenience factor, we will begin to miss out on the finer things of life. You will become accustomed to the Keurig coffee and miss out on the blue bottle red window coffee. Hey, which is way better than Keurig. Inconvenience, or I'm sorry, impatience can push you into some scary territory. Can it not? It, it, it causes us to rush through things. And before you know it, you find yourself in some scary places. Impatience can make you do crazy. My child, Winston, who's five, uh, has really had to relearn this concept of patience now that he's a second child. And uh, so every time he now asks me for something, my, my instant response is, yep, buddy, just give me a minute. Just give me a minute. Any parents or to-be parents out there, let me just give you a tip. When you have your first child, just make them wait unnecessarily for things. Just don't give in to their first request right away. Just train them up for the second baby that's coming. <laughs> So the other day I was like changing Mabel's diaper so both my hands are like, you know, busy doing that and I can't just walk away from her. But he desperately wanted his Go-Gurt squeeze tube to be cut open. And I was like, buddy, you're just going to have to wait a minute. And then before I knew it, he appeared back before me and his Go-Gurt yogurt 
was already cut open. And I'm like, hmm, how did he manage to do that? And so I go into the kitchen, and there my impatient child had drugged a stool, very much like that one, along to the countertop and crawled up on the stool and climbed up to the counter and grabbed out the scissors from the butcher block. You know the scissors that you use to cut chicken with and stuff? The kind of scissors that easily fall apart as well. So the fact that he still has his 10 fingers, I'm very thankful. But... Just like Winston, impatience takes you into scary territory. And so we had to revisit my son's book on patience because he has a book on all the fruits of the Spirit. And so one of them is about patience. And it starts a little something like this. I waited and waited patiently for something I wanted desperately. I asked once and I asked twice. I even tried to be really nice. But after a while, it didn't come. I stomped my foot and said, I am done. I was tired of waiting so long. My waiting heart was not so strong. And I want to bring that principle to us here today because as adults, I want to say that our waiting hearts are not so strong. And if we don't learn how to do these pivotal moments, these seasons of waiting well, we will find ourselves stuck or turned around instead of moving forward through them. Because who knows, we all in some aspect of our lives are waiting on something. Somewhere in your life here today, I know I am, we are waiting for something. So let's learn how to wait well. Because in patience that leads you to taking God's plan into your own hands, will remove the blessing off of your life because it pushes your foot to step outside of that which you have been graced for. So let's be a church that stays the race and stays the course that he has marked out for you. So we're going to look at the story of Saul. I'm just going to, am I in the middle? I feel like I'm off-centered, and that's driving my brain a little crazy. So we're going to look at the story of Saul and how his impatience did just that for him. It removed the blessing of God off of his life because he could not be a patient man. And so let me catch you up to speed what's happening here in this story. Saul, um, the, the nation of Israel has cried out they want a, a, a king. And so we know King Saul is the first physical king on earth to rule them. And so Saul gets um, brought in. He is found by the prophet Samuel. Samuel up until this point has been leading the nation of Israel, but he has gotten old. His sons are wicked. And so that's when the Israelites were like, give us a physical king. And God's like, okay, sure, we'll do it. And so uh, Samuel goes out and he finds Saul. God says, that's the guy. And so he finds him. He anoints him with oil. And he begins to tell him of what's about to happen, which is good things to happen, right? To be told by a prophet, these are the things that will occur. And so there's a little detail I want to insert to you here as we jump into our story. One of the things that Samuel specifically tells Saul at his point of being anointed king, he tells him in 1 Samuel 10:8, you shall go down before me to Gilgal and surely I will come down to you and offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So this is kind of like, okay, you got it. Go to Gilgal, wait seven days. I'll be there. I'll tell you what to do next. And so it says that Saul goes on to reign as king for two years. And at that two-year mark, he begins to gather 
armies together. He gathers 2,000 men for himself, 1,000 for his son, Jonathan. Jonathan one day gets the bold idea to go and attack the Philistines, okay? And so where they had been at peace with them, they were still oppressing them. And so they're like, okay, we're going to attack the Philistines. Jonathan takes his guys, attacks them, and man, does he wake up a sleeping giant. Because the Philistines start to gather their army together, and it's no small fleet. It's like 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. And it says the multitude of the army was greater like the sands on the seashore. And so when the Hebrews see this great army of the Philistines stacked against them, they don't stand encouraged. They go scattering and hiding in every pit and in every cave and every hole that they can find. And this is where we pick up our story. 1 Samuel 13, 7. It says, and some of the Hebrews were even retreating, it says. They crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal. So he's still listening at this point. I'm waiting for Samuel. I'm waiting for Samuel. And all the people followed him, trembling. And he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and a peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. That word greet translates to bless, to bless him. And Samuel said, what have you done? He just got his hand caught in the cookie jar. Saul said, when I saw the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the appointed days and that the Philistines were gathering together, I said, the Philistines are now going to come after me in Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord God, which he commanded to you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel. That means he would have said the lineage of king would have stayed in his line. Which means, I mean, gosh, Jonathan just got the short end of the stick there. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, which we know will be King David next. Verse 15, then Samuel rose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people present with him, about 600 men. So let me just highlight a few important events that just occurred here in case you lost track of that scripture. What happens is that Saul, who was ordained king, stepped into a role that he had not been graced for as priest when he began to start up the burnt offerings. Listen, as, a, as an Israelite, you needed to come from the tribe of the Levites to be a priest, to have authority to do these sacrifices and offerings. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. And so when you look at his impatience factor here, we get to see really quickly how his response, his impatience led to a response not of repentance, but one of excuses. What was his response? He says, when I saw the people coming and when I saw that the people were scattered and you didn't come when you said you were and the Philistines were gathering, I felt compelled. I felt compelled because impatience binds our mouth from being able to accept responsibility for our actions. And we begin to uh, keep our excuses from excusing ourselves from the perfect plan that God has for your life. 
God wanted to set a lineage, a kingdom through uh, Saul, but because he couldn't be patient, he stepped outside of the blessing, which means it's so, so Samuel had to say, your kingdom will no longer continue. And so let's look at these three excuses that Saul gives and learn how can we learn from his mistakes and not allow our hearts to be robbed from patience, but actually strengthen our waiting heart. The first thing that's going to weaken your waiting heart is isolation. His first excuse says that the people were scattered from me. When you step into a season of waiting, it is going to feel like you are the only person in the entire universe going through that moment in time. Because why? The enemy wants to lie. He wants to use that impatience to put a filter over your eyes to make you think you are the only one, that you have been abandoned. Did you ever notice that moment that you're waiting for financial breakthrough, waiting for the promotion, waiting for the relationship, waiting for the house, waiting for the baby? It's like everyone else around you is having the best like success in those areas. It's like everyone on tax return season is getting back thousands of dollars and you're the one owing the government money. You know, hello. You're like, God's just handing out promotions left and right up in heaven. And you're like, where's mine? Hello. It just feels like you're the only one. Everyone's in a relationship but me. You know, it's like, what filter are we looking at? Because Saul says, the people were scattered from me. But at the end of that passage, it said what? He still had 600 men with him. Perspective. Don't have an impatient perspective. When you believe in the lie of solitude, you lose sight of who your true master is. And that is a scary place to be. Because that means in our season of waiting, we will begin to do what serves us best versus doing what serves God and those around us best. Don't allow isolation to remove the voices of Samuel from your life. God is going to send Samuels around you in your season of waiting, and we cannot allow a filter of impatience to blind us from seeing and, and heeding those words. Because Saul was meant to wait for Samuel. Why? So that Samuel, as the priest, could come and spiritually bless and spiritually ready, not just Saul, but the whole nation for the battle that was ahead. And he robs them of that opportunity by stepping out in impatience. The final note that Samuel actually leaves the nation of Israelites and Saul with after he ordains him as king is he tells them again and again, he tells them in 1 Samuel 12, 20, to not fear that although you've done wickedness, don't turn aside from following the Lord, but to serve the Lord with all your heart. Again, he says to them in verse 24, only fear the Lord. And serve him in truth with all your heart for consider what great things he has done for you. See, you will combat the lie of isolation when you choose to hold a posture of servanthood. Servanthood will preserve you and those that you are or who are around you in your season of waiting. Like I said, being um, in a season of waiting doesn't mean that you just sit on your hands, not doing anything. You have to be active and pursuing the things of God, and you do that through a season, uh, uh, through a moment of servanthood. And Genesis, you read about a story in Genesis 29 about Jacob. Jacob catches the eye of this gorgeous girl named Rebecca, and he goes to the dad Laban, and he's like, okay, let's work out a deal here. I'll serve you seven years, and then you'll give me your bride, you'll, or give me my bride, Rebecca. 
And it says that Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Catch this. And they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Okay, so sweet, right? Oh gosh, that is so sweet. (laughs) So like, wow, you are superhuman. Um, But see, Jacob could wait seven years. That only seemed a few days. Whereas Saul couldn't even wait seven days. Why? Because Jacob was serving out of a love for another, where Saul was serving out of love for himself. Servanthood will strengthen your waiting heart. Your season of waiting will seem lighter. It will seem shorter if you take up a cause that is greater than your own and begin serving a cause that is greater than your own, and that name is Jesus. That's why being part of a team is so powerful. That's why being part of building the house of God is so incredible. Time flies when you're having fun, and that's exactly what serving God should be. Waiting is easier when you have a voice of encouragement, the voice of Samuel's around you, and when you choose to do it together, you choose to serve. The second point, the second thing that can weaken our waiting hearts and our time of waiting is idealism idealism. He says, Saul says to Samuel, you didn't come in the appointed time. See, in your season of waiting, you will be tempted to take things into your own hands. And when things don't go according to your plan, your time, how you wish it to unfold, you begin to play the blame game. You begin to point your fingers at other people as the excuse versus humbling yourself, trusting that God has the ultimate plan in control. See, Saul begins to play the blame game with Samuel versus using this as a moment of repentance, using it as a moment to take responsibility for his actions. Did you notice that he only got through one of the offerings? He didn't even get to the peace offering. It's like he must have just started this at the crack of dawn on the seventh day. But idealism takes on the wrong form of ownership, and it turns it into what I like to call controllership, okay? It's like when impatience meets ownership, you begin to elevate yourself above God's timing, above God's plan, and it becomes controllership. And we've all been there. God, I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm serving, I'm doing all the check boxes. When is it my turn? When is that thing gonna come? When is that breakthrough gonna occur? And we have to pause and we have to assess, are we serving God's agenda or are we trying to invoke God to serve our agenda? Because that's what Saul was trying to do in this moment. He rushed ahead, stepped outside of what he had been graced for, and he started to perform these offerings thinking that he could invoke God's hand of blessing upon the nation for the battle ahead. Impatient omits God from the equation, and we get tunnel vision, thinking that it needs to happen our way. I mean, we have all been there. I have been there. I don't care what your personality type is, there has been a moment in life where you have taken the crazy control grip, trying to force it, trying to make things happen. We declare the scriptures, all things are possible for those who believe. Oh, I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing. Has it happened yet? I'm believing, I'm believing. Has it happened yet? But what if your faith moment is just learning to wait patiently on him? James 1.3 says this really, amazing but annoying verse for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness oh my goodness 
What is God wanting to ingrain inside of you in your waiting season? See, pride will come in and say that we know best versus humbling trusting that God is best. It's like disobeying Google Maps. We've all done it. It always takes longer when you disobey Google Maps. It, it, it's like we think we know best. Google Maps knows best. Without humility, listen to me, without humbling ourselves, surrendering our plans, our wishes, our timing to God, we will find ourselves turned around and our season of waiting will feel longer. See, Saul in jumping ahead and performing the duties of priest versus waiting for Samuel to come and to, to demonstrate that for him, he pushed ahead his ideal in his mind. And in that, he robbed himself of an inheritance. He robbed his son of his inheritance. But the scripture in Psalm says, in Psalm 37, tells us that those who wait on the Lord will inherit the land. Those who wait on him. Don't rob yourself of the blessing that God has lined up for you because we become impatient and we push our ideals through. He knows what's best for you. Strengthen your waiting heart by humbling yourself and trusting he knows best. He knows best. And the final thing, the final point, his final excuse, the Philistines were gathering. He saw the enemy and he felt threatened. And so the last thing that's going to weaken your waiting heart is intimidation. Intimidation. Your season of waiting doesn't, if, if in your season of waiting, you don't begin to fall to the pleasure, if you begin to fall to the pressure of pleasing people over God, it will become a breeding ground for compromise and disobedience and rebellion, which is what we see in the story of Saul if you keep reading about him. We even see this in um, Aaron with the Israelites. You might know the story. Moses goes up to the mountain to be with God, to get instruction from God. And Aaron is put in charge to govern the Israelites when they're in their season of waiting. And they get tired of waiting. And so what do they do? They build a golden calf to worship because that makes sense. But Aaron, he wasn't, he wasn't an innocent bystander. His active complacency made him unable to do his role to govern those people well in their season of waiting. And so I want to encourage you here today that God is putting people around you and in your world that you are being called to lead and to help and to steward in your season of waiting. But if we allow impatience to sneak in, you will be led by a fear of man over a fear of God, which means you will find yourself rendered useless in your indifference to put God first. Intimidation will make you ineffective in your season of waiting because you begin to allow the pressure of emotion to overtake your ability to reason. Once you start this cycle of trying to please man over God, it's a hard one to stop because you've built a false confidence and a couple wins. And we see that with Saul. He makes this one silly mistake of his impatience leading him to disobey God's command. And the rest of his story is a chain reaction of that. In fact, in just a few chapters later, Samuel goes back to Saul. Second chance, buddy. Here's what God wants you to do. You're going to go to Amalek and you're going to utterly destroy it. Every living thing, every animal, everything. Leave nothing alive. 
And this is what happens, 1 Samuel 15, 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag, who is the king, and best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. See, what happens is impatience, when pushed by intimidation, creates that false confidence that we know best, that we can judge what's good and what should be kept and what what we should do away with. For in that creates a stubbornness within us, which leads to just a whole bunch of bad choicemen and judgment calls. Shortening your patience and your season of waiting through intimidation will push you to make bad judgment calls. Again, this is why we need the voices of Samuel in our lives to help direct us. And again, Samuel calls him out. Buddy, did you see what you just did? God told you to kill everything. Why do I hear those sheep in the background? Why do I hear those cows in the background? What's up with this? Why is that king still alive? If you really want to know the story, guess who ends up killing the king? It's Samuel. Don't make someone else do your dirty work because you aren't willing. Anyways, that's another message. But Saul, finally, he has this confession moment with Samuel. In 1 Samuel 15, 24, he says, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I have feared people and obeyed their voice. See, intimidation will put someone else's voice and influence over that of God's. And that's okay, because that's real, that's human, that's going to happen. But it just means you need to stop and recognize that you just have a priority issue. And the thing that combats intimidation is worship. We combat intimidation through praise and through worship. Worship is the vehicle that sets God back in the position of first. We have to learn to have a voice of worship through our season of waiting. Psalm 59 says, I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been my fortress and my refuge in the day of distress. We have to fix our gaze back on Jesus and begin to sing of his strength, not ours, of his love that's a refuge, not man's love for us. Psalm 22.3 tells us that God inhabits our praise. Let's stand here today. Thank you for joining us. For more information, please visit c3losangeles.com.